Previously on Infants on Thrones. I'm wondering if you subscribe to any form of karma whatsoever. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. Obviously, justice is a big part of what I find extremely important or valuable. You have nothing to fear. If I'm going to drop the whole notion that there's some sort of like eternal justice, like if you're an asshole in this life, then you die, then you get your comeuppance after this life. We are eternal spiritual beings through multiple incarnations. Okay, well, if I have to drop that notion, which is where I stand, you can do no wrong. Then I kind of fall into, okay, well, what will fill that void now? And I, I find myself thinking about karma quite a bit. You can do no wrong, as long as we realize that we reap what we sow. If we hand out pain and suffering to others as part of the lessons we're trying to learn, we're going to end up either making amends in this incarnation or having to live through the pain and suffering on their behalf in that life review. There is no need for an eternal hell. And in fact, that life review provides plenty of impetus for us to learn the lessons of that love and then plan that next incarnation with our soulmates and come back in here. If you're an asshole, then, you know, assholery is going to sort of surround you, so, so... There's plenty of evil and darkness in this world, but it's not a force that is against love and light of that infinitely powerful creator. We simply serve as channels to bring that love and light into this world, and it displaces the darkness and evil. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 636, An Insatiable Need for Justice and the Meandering Search for Karma, Part 3. You know, this series all came about as a discussion between Tom and I, but we often record voice messages on our phones and send them to each other. We're a little weird and special that way. So in part one of this series, we established Tom's main concerns about justice and karma, which you heard a bit in the introduction. In part two, I shared with you some clips from philosopher-entertainer Alan Watts, who is not a guru, by the way, about karma as a balanced understanding of the interconnectedness of all things. And we heard from Dr. Jim Tucker, who talked about his research into children's past life memories. And then we heard from neurosurgeon Eben Alexander, who, again, you heard briefly in today's intro. Now, when I first heard that talk from Eben Alexander, it was after Tom and I had had our initial discussion. And as he talked about his near-death experience, there were some things that really jumped out to me, things that I thought spoke directly to Tom's question about justice and karma. So I sent him a link to the audio, and today you're going to hear his response to it. <laughs> and you know what? I'd also like to hear yours if you want to record yourself and email it to infantsonthrones at gmail.com. I may use it. We still have one or two more installments of this series yet to come, and you'll hear from another listener very shortly, and my responses to him. And then you're going to hear the clip from Eben Alexander that I thought spoke most directly to Tom's questions about justice and karma. And then you will hear a panel discussion between Tom and myself as we dissect Dr. Alexander's near-death experience. How's that? That's what we're calling episode 636 of Infants on Thrones. Are you ready? Because here we go. All right, this listener we're going to call Adam, 
And Adam recorded this, and he emailed it to infantsonthrones at gmail.com. All right, Adam, what do you got to say? You know, this this question that Tom had that kind of, that seemed to kind of kick off this whole conversation, this whole series you're doing, um, has been on my mind quite a bit the last uh, year or two. And uh, when I think about why, why that's been on my mind, um, you know, I think back to when I left the church, and it's been seven, eight years now. But, you know, I really, uh, I had this, what I, at least what I recognized at the time was this kind of, uh, general apathy that helped push me through, helped me get over it pretty quickly. You know, I mean, it was obviously devastating to go through, you know, having my whole worldview crumble and relationships ruined and and all that good stuff but um so that obviously was tough but once i kind of got through all that hang on a second adam but before we go forward with this i just want to acknowledge what you just said because you said that you had apathy and i think what you were saying was that you had to have that kind of apathy as a way to numb yourself against the pain of all of these things that you lost as a result of your worldview changing, growing, we'll call it. <laughs> not not to disparage other people who are growing in different directions, <laughs> but you know. So you had this, uh, th- this you lost relationships, you lost a lot of things. It's it's a hard thing to go through, what we've gone through, and so I think what you're suggesting is that you had this apathy, that you needed to have just to kind of numb yourself, to brace yourself up, to get through all of that and not have it be so overwhelmingly painful that you couldn't cope. Am I, am I hearing you right? Anyway, if, if so, that is really profound. I've never thought of it that way before. Thank you, Adam, for, for sharing, even what you've shared up to this point. I just want to take, take a moment to acknowledge that. Thank you. Relationships ruined and, and all that good stuff. But, um, so that obviously was tough, but once I kind of got through all that, just the thought of, you know, that that whole afterlife, you know, plan of salvation uh, scheme, you know, was not real. Once I, I got to that point, I really, I had this relief come over me and it was, it was empowering. It was kind of, look, I don't know what's going to happen after this, but and maybe nothing happens after this. And that was empowering. That kind of, it, it gave me control of my life. It was like, okay, I'm not following the church's program now. You know, I get to decide my program. I get to decide my values, my morals. And in a way, that was really empowering. And it was, you know, I felt more, you know, free to take risks, you know, with my profession and, you know, YOLO, right? I mean, let's make this a great life. Let's have a lot of fun, you know, and let's let's get places. You know, it's interesting to me, Adam, that you said that after you went through all this and you found out that the afterlife plan of salvation scheme wasn't true, that that was kind of what freed you up to take control of your life and, uh, you know, YOLO, live you only live once, right? And and carpe diem and all of that good stuff. That that happened 
uh, as a result of these fictions about the afterlife and, and which is really the fiction about you, about who you are in, in relationship to the divine. That's what that story was. And you, and you let it go. And that's what freed you. I I find that really interesting because what I keep coming back to, (laughs) like, I really, I really wonder if in my case, that apathy that you talked about, not only did it uh, protect my feelings, but it, it also kind of hardened me against, you know, like it, it made me think, oh, all of that stuff is just bullshit. But, I, you know, I kind of think that this is something that maybe Joseph Smith threw a dart and got something right, because what was he describing? He was describing evolution, you know, how many years before Darwin? But he wasn't talking about evolution just from, you know, a single-celled organism to Homo sapien. He's talking about what even comes before <laughs> the, the the intelligences of all things that are continually progressing eternally towards godhood, omniscience, whatever that is. Now, you know, not not necessarily that God is a man with a beard and a father in the sky kind of thing. But I kind of think that he got that a little bit right, because I think that's how it is. I think that's what evolution show is showing us. That it's there is this progression. You know, if this planet explodes, or when this planet explodes, will there no longer be any life at all in the universe? I mean, there's got to be other other planets where this is going on. And does, is it possible that life can evolve to a point that it could survive outside of these conditions that we currently do? I don't know. I it just it. I know this isn't really why you uh, sent this message in, but. This is what I think when I listen to your message, Adam. So I just wanted to cut in here and again say thank you for sending this. I like thinking about these kinds of things. And, uh, and, and the other thing that I find interesting about it is I think you could entertain, at least entertain, whether you accept these things as beliefs or not, entertain them as possibilities and still have the same kind of YOLO approach of, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the best of this life. It kind of doesn't really matter what your belief in an afterlife is if you decide that you're just going to take charge of your life, right? But maybe it takes going through a faith crisis and losing that to realize, oh, that's a power I had all along. I just thought that I didn't have it as part of the stories that are being told. Anyway, let's go back to you now. Let's go back to you. Let's, you know, make your life what you want it to be, that kind of attitude. And and I still feel that a lot, but... um you know, there's a flip side to that too. And the flip side is, well, yeah, YOLO, everything's, when everything's great, you know, that's awesome. But when everything's not so great, you know, those, those downs, those, you know, kind of depressing moments can turn pretty dark sometimes. And, you know, and it's like, well, why does any of this matter? (laughs) You know, what am I doing here? Sort of deal. And that's, that's kind of scary when you feel your, your mind going that way. And, um, so when I think about that, I, I, I guess my mind goes back to, well, I didn't feel that way before when I was in the church. And I think a reason for that, a big reason for that is, is that sense of purpose that I had, you know, I, I knew, I knew, I knew where I was going. I knew what was going to happen when I died. I knew what things I needed to do 
while I was alive so that I would get to where I wanted to be when I died. And there was some comfort in that. And now I don't have any of that. All right. Pardon me if I'm callous here. I don't mean to be callous, Adam. But I don't believe you. I don't believe that you don't have any of that now, because I think there are some things that you are very certain in. Um, if I'm wrong, you can let me know. But, but, but entertain, entertain me here, please. <laughs> so I think that you know that it is a statistical miracle that you're even here. That if, if you go back <laughs> to the Big Bang that started everything off, all of the little teeny tiny pieces that had to fall exactly into place over the last 13.8 billion years for your parents to meet however it was that they met and decide, oh yeah, we're going we're gonna to try this out. Whatever made them make that decision to conceive you on the night that they conceived you, at the time that they conceived you, for, for the, the one sperm out of the however many, you know, dozens and dozens that you have swimming around in there, uh, if for your dad that was you made it into the egg. I mean, just like all of the things. And how many times did that happen with so many parents and so many progenitors going all the way back to the very first cell of life on this planet? Do you know those things? You know that it is absolutely remarkable that you're here and that this whole environment that you see around you, we're in this nice Goldilocks zone in the solar system where it's not too hot, it's not too cold, and life can exist and evolve into all of the just like amazing beauty and wonder that's all around you. I didn't just spew a bunch of feel-good bullshit. That's feel-good real shit, man. That's, that's science. That's, that's just reality. But it can also be our myth. It can be our mythology. Now, what does that tell you about your place in the universe? Does it mean that you're the special son of God? No. But are you a special like anomaly? <laughs> like a miracle that you even exist? That all of these things lined up perfectly just for you to do it? Yeah. Now, I, I'm supposed that you could take something like that and then go, oh, but what have I been making with my life? You know, I'm this great miracle and I haven't really done anything. <laughs> Maybe you could tell yourself those kinds of stories. I hope you don't. Because even, e even just taking in breath, taking in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide, you're contributing to this ecosystem of ours. You know, we don't measure success in those terms, typically. But just by, just by existing... You're helping life on this planet uh, without even meaning to. And I'm sure you're a kind-hearted person that does a lot of good for a lot of people as well that maybe you don't see, maybe you don't recognize. So anyway, <laughs> I, I do sympathize with the, the sense of like, what, what's the purpose now? I'm, I'm, you know, the plan of salvation is baloney. Mormon church is baloney. Everything I was told is baloney. <laughs> okay. But, you know, you're going to take, you're going to take control of the way that you look at life now, right? And you've got facts like the ones that I just spewed off to you about how miraculous it is that you're here. 
you can create what you want to create. I think, I think, I think you can, Adam. I think you can. And, you know, I, I need to find a purpose in life again. And, you know, I got my family and obviously my purpose now, my strongest motivator is to create the best life I possibly can for them. The happiest life I possibly can for them. Um, but, you know, sometimes, like I said, when, when those dark moments come, it's, I don't know, like I, I just, I've, I've never, it's something I've never felt before, to be honest. Like I've never, I've always been a pretty happy guy, pretty, you know, let things roll off my shoulder type of guy. And I, I, I still am for the most part. It's, you know, but when things, you know, like are going really bad at work or, you know, I really mess something up or fail as a parent or a husband or whatever, you know, it's, it can be tough and I don't, I don't have a playbook anymore to, all right, well, this is what you got to do. And then, you know, this is what is going to happen in the end. You know, I, it's very temporary now. Like I know what I need to do if I need to apologize to someone or, you know, make something good there. But, but as far as the bigger picture, you know, it's, it's fuzzy now. Yeah, it, it is. It is fuzzy. It's really fuzzy. And um, we don't have a playbook. But, you know, when you think about it, we never did. Even when we were told, this is your playbook. If you do X, Y, and Z, then everything will be perfect. And so you did. And it wasn't. But, you know, you still have that what did you say? I don't think you said inner voice, but you, you've got that thing inside of you that tells you when you need to apologize to someone or, you know, what were the examples that you gave? Who is it that's telling you that you want to make the best life for your family that you can possibly make for it? How is that not part of a playbook? Maybe it is. And you're creating the playbook. Maybe you always were. Maybe you were always taking what was in front of you and you were choosing either, yes, I'm going to do this or no, I'm not going to do this based on what you thought and what you felt. And that was based on what you had been told. And as those things grew, what, what your, the, the way that you made decisions changed because you had new variables to consider, you know, I'm just trying to say, Adam, I think that you've always been um, doing this and you're not giving yourself enough credit. Maybe, maybe who, what, what do I know? That's just what I'm, that's just my thought. So, and you know, I think this is going to be my last comment. And then um, I think Tom's got something to say to you. In a lot of ways, that makes things tougher. It makes things better when things are good, and it makes things tougher when things aren't so good. Um, so, anyways, this whole exploration into the afterlife, and um, you know, what's what's real, what's not real. You know, I still kind of go into it thinking, you know, who the hell knows. Um, nobody knows, you know, I got my own belief system of what I think is going to happen when I die. But even that, you know, like, whereas when I was in the church, I also had a belief, but I was, I was 99.9% .9 sure I was right. Right. And now I'm like, eh, I'm, you know, maybe a five to 10% chance that I'm right. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, exploring these things kind of gives me some 
um, some sense of purpose in this life for some reason. And uh, anyways, that's something that I'm searching for now and I feel like I need to get back a little bit. Hey, listener email response. Okay, so this is hitting on so many of the points that I think about and that I've mentioned or said, whether it was on in a public way or whether it was in private conversations. Some of it gets so muddy and I'm like, I don't remember which one it was. Totally anyways. You know, my natural inclination is to just respond with like advice or, you know, I immediately feel like I, I want to try to, um, I don't know, have an answer to all the problems. Uh, all I can really say is, dude, I hear you. Like you're, you're preaching my language here. Um, the teetering on nihilism thing, like I've, I've been in that, I've been in that space or even in this space for a long time. I don't have an answer. I'm, I'm still probably in the same place you're in searching for, um, answers, but you you know, you, <laughs> this is the way I look at it. We're, we're all looking for answers that we don't have yet. Um, and maybe we'll get closer. Maybe some of the questions will get answers, but not all of them. Um, and as far as like, you know, uh, answering the question that obviously I'm, that I'm really wrestling with that, uh, you know, what, <laughs> what if there's nothing after this life, you know, what are we going to do about that? Um, I, I don't know, you know, because if, if the assholes get away with it, you know, if Adolf Hitler died peacefully, which, which I'm not 100% sure he did, but let, let's just say that the oxygen cut off, you know, he, he was in a calm and peaceful state as he passed away, and then that's it. Oblivion it, it is. You know, all, all of his, all of the shit that he did, all the lives that he permanently changed for generations and generations, all that is just like, eh. Now he's got nothing. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> um, I all I can say is that, um, yeah, I val I validate you in your concerns. Um, and not to be too pandery, uh, I, I want to just mention because it was interesting to hear sort of my struggles or my thoughts echoed and it even made me think about like what you know when you get in those low lowest of lows right when you're teetering on nihilism when you're like what's the point and yeah even suicidal thoughts will will bubble up i mean we all, i don't know anybody that's immune to having suicidal thoughts i think we all do to some degree or other some you know it's just a fleeting thought others take it seriously and contemplate it and think about it and stew over it and some even plan it out and some of them even actually go through with it there was even a, a local uh ex-mormon around here again and like this story is getting <sighs> the story of suicides it's it's getting to a point where 
it doesn't carry the weight that it used to to me. Like I hear about another one and I'm like, damn. And I, I don't know. I, it's, I, it's a dangerous position to be in where I'm like, this is the way this, I, is this where we're at? Is this a phase? I hope that we'll snap out of it. I don't know. I really hope so. And I hope, you know, in there's several factors, right? Where it's the amount of people leaving religion, um, get, getting disenfranchised, uh, the way the world is, the way that America is being run. I mean, there's so many like pretty strong uh, factors that can cause people to really be extremely negative. And they're all legitimate reasons. Um, but all I can say, and this is just me talking through things, okay? I'm, I'm not trying to be preachy, and I'm not trying to pander to you, and I'm certainly not trying to say I have any answers to any of those, those very valid questions that I, even I'm wrestling with. But um, what I will say is the things that, well, okay, it takes a special skill set to pay attention to the things in life that are meaningful, that add value, that um, bring you tremendous amounts of joy. Um, it's so important, and it's and there's self-help books all over the place that talk about this. So I, I'm not saying anything new or groundbreaking, but to pay attention to the things that really add tremendous value to your life, you need to pay attention to what those things are. Um, that's what I do, or at least I try to do. I don't, I'm not always good at it, but I try to really, really pay attention to those things that add tremendous joy and value to my life. Truly, truly write down, focus in, highlight those areas in life that bring you tremendous amounts of joy, that make you feel like life is worth living. And eat, when I'm talking about even the smallest of things, there's a really cool story about a guy who went up to, no, it was a, he was ordering like a coffee at a Starbucks or something like that. And then the barista interacted with this person at a, at a completely meaningless, for all intents and purposes, benign interaction became, it changed this guy's attitude, his day, his week, and now he's carrying, he's using that example of how just one person can do so much to change uh, <laughs> attitudes. And I don't know, there, there's, if you've, and I know you've been a recipient of this, I'm sure of it. And I'm, I'm just, I, I don't really even want to get into too much, but as far as the suicidal thoughts and ideology and stuff like that, I'm, I'm, you obviously, like everyone else, you're aware of like all the resources you can out there to reach out to and whatever, but most people never reach out to those things. So if you or really anyone out there is listening and you fall into suicidal ideation from time to time, um, think about the people that love you and care about you because they're there. Sometimes it's hard to you know, realize that they do care about you, but they're there. And uh, a lot of them are willing to reach out to you if they just know the kind of pain you're under. So 
do yourself and your loved ones a favor and, you know, reach out. You don't need to tell them what you're going through, but just reach out. That's enough for me, dude. Talk to you later. Have I done any good in the world today? Any problems I've helped realize? Have I paid debtors, bookies, brought neighbors some cookies in hopes they'd soon be baptized? Has anyone's burden been lighter today? Because I put their name in the temple prayer roll. Have the world's many addicted been less world afflicted? When they needed an eternal perspective to explain away their suffering, were they told? Then wake up and do something more than pretend that the temple work has any real impact at all. There are people around you who need actual help. Real people in this life right now. The name of the game is Support the Infants. Gotcha! Four cross. Hmm. One more game. Object? Sign up on Patreon. Do what you can to show the infants your undying appreciation and keep them motivated to continue creating the kind of podcast you enjoy to enjoy. Because when that happens, we all win. I won. Where? I can't Here, diagonally. Pretty sneaky, sis. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast and the effort that goes into creating it, please come support us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode, capped at any amount of your choosing, you will have access to nearly 100 Patreon-only sharing time episodes that have not been released to the general public, or if you would prefer to express your gratitude with a one-time donation via Venmo or PayPal, check out the donate link on the website infantsonthrones.com. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And this is, in my view, the central message of Proof of Heaven. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. You will be taken care of. And nothing to fear is very, very critical. Because I saw very much, in my view, how this was not a battle between good and evil, between light and darkness. In fact, there's plenty of evil and darkness in this world, but it's not a force that is against love and light of that infinitely powerful creator. We simply serve as channels to bring that love and light into this world, and it displaces the darkness and evil. The darkness and evil are plenty real in this material realm, and you can also encounter them in those lower spiritual realms, such as I did in that earthworm eye view. The important thing to remember is when you know and fully know that you are a divine, eternal, spiritual being directly connected to that all-powerful creative deity. You have nothing to fear. And that is all you need to know. When you believe that and know that, it enables you to bring that lightness and love into this world in the face of darkness and evil as we perceive it here, and to do so in those spiritual realms and ascend higher and higher towards that oneness with the divine, with the soul group, and, and all that our souls are doing to, to ascend to those levels. Now, it turns out 
that there was another uh, message that she gave me in addition to these messages of unconditional love. And this is one, in retrospect, I wish I had embellished on a little more in the book. You can do no wrong. And of course, I, I get in a little bit of hot water over that one when people just get to the book and read that far and they go, wait a minute, we can do wrong down here. Well, the reality is she meant it. You can do no wrong as long as we realize that we reap what we sow. If we hand out pain and suffering to others as part of the lessons we're trying to learn, we're going to end up either making amends in this incarnation or having to live through the pain and suffering on their behalf in that life review. There is no need for an eternal hell. And in fact, that life review provides plenty of impetus for us to learn the lessons of that love and then plan that next incarnation with our soulmates and come back in here. But you can do no wrong knowing full well that we are here to learn and teach those lessons with our soulmates. And again, the lessons have everything to do with that love, have to do with knowing that we are eternal spiritual beings through multiple incarnations. And for those of you who uh, grew up like I did in a Christian faith, I promise you there's a tremendous amount in original Christianity that fully supports reincarnation. And I, believing as I did before my coma that brain creates consciousness, I'd never paid any attention to the near-death experience literature. I also did not realize that there's a very strong scientific literature on past life memories in children. In fact, the uh, uh, arch-skeptic and scientist Carl Sagan admitted that one, one of the features of uh, what he called psi or paranormal phenomena that had way too much evidence and demanded a much deeper explanation was past life memories in children and the evidence that it brings for reincarnation. A lot of that work has been done by the group at University of Virginia. Um, and uh, Karen Newell and I work a lot with, with, uh, with that group now and some of the work we do with sacred acoustics. But it turns out that um, the work of Ian Stevenson and more recently of Jim Tucker about past life memories in children fully brings out the reality of that. That reincarnation is real. Then you have to go and explain, well, how in the world does that happen? It clearly defies that simplistic kindergarten level thinking of brain creates consciousness. So you can bet there's some major pushback from uh, neuroscientists who are materialists in their beliefs. But in fact, it's very real. That's, that's extremely common. Why was he not talking about that? He did. He did. Uh, and, and especially because he, he was um, agnostic for eight years uh, right. before this. He didn't have any, uh, he, he never explored near-death experiences. He wasn't right. familiar with the literature or like the expectations or anything like that. And so his first, when he first started talking to his doctors after this experience, he thought, okay, this was my brain playing tricks on me because that's what happens in these kinds of cases. But they said, well, the kind of meningitis that you had, your brain was not active. Like that part of your brain was not, like it could not have been uh, your brain creating this. Mm -hmm. This was something else. So that, that's, that's how he addressed that. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I haven't dive or dove into a whole lot of like the free will or even too much of the NDE experiences, but yeah. I have, but I have enough that everything that he was talking about has pretty good um, evidence-based 
solutions to what he experienced. And, and the bigger, the bigger problem I have. So you take the content, what he was talking about to the side, because again, for me, I need something where the foundation is stable that I can, that I feel like I can just kind of launch from and everything that he was talking about was so completely anecdotal and subjective. How am I supposed to listen to what he's saying? Because he gets real preachy too, which is weird. Yeah. But of course, when was this? 2014. Mm -hmm. And supposedly he had this experience in 2008 or 2007. I don't remember the dates. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, so I'll I'll give you an example because I couldn't help but start thinking about my dad. So my dad got put in a medically induced coma due to complications of pneumonia back in 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. And he was out for over three weeks. And they didn't necessarily gauge his brain function or stimuli or anything like that, but he was on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. He was on a feeding tube, like everything. So, and my family started making arrangements that he wasn't going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Then he comes out of it. um, Well, there was, there was like two experiences where he sort of comes out. One, he was in a sheer panic and he was freaking out trying to pull the tubes out and, you know, just, you could tell he's completely disoriented. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what was happening. And then the second time um, he was like waking up and falling back out, waking up and the nurses and the doctors there were slowly telling him where he was, what was going on, trying to get him reoriented to what, where he was and what was happening. And I've talked to my dad, I don't know how many times about that experience and he has nothing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just a complete lack or it's a, just a gap of memory. There's, yeah. it's like you time travel. There was just nothing there. Right. So how do I explain this? So, so you're saying, why is it that your dad wasn't able to remember anything, but this guy was? No, what okay. I'm saying, what I'm saying is this Alexander guy, he has these vivid memories of this gap and seven days. Yeah. Yeah. But he has memories of this gap where there shouldn't be memories. And then of course he goes on to just pontificate about how these memories were so real, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't, he doesn't explain like a scientist would where he's like, now mind you, my experience is completely subjective. (laughs) And, and if he, and I'm assuming he's extremely uh, well-versed on the fallibility of memory just all by itself. Like if you just take memory all by itself, it's so malleable. It's so flawed. It's so problematic. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying that he has this crystal clear memory of a time where he shouldn't have memory. But what could have happened, there's, there's a ton of different things that could have happened. And one of them is, is he was still experiencing trauma when he started to reorient himself back into what was happening, right? Where he, he, didn't, he couldn't even recall who he was before. His, his brain suffered like severe, severe trauma. Um, how is it that he doesn't realize that at that time, his brain was shifting and manufacturing uh, whether it's imaginations to memories, like it was just pulling all these things together 
and he doesn't seem to think that that's entirely possible. Like here, here's another one. So just this morning I woke up and I, I went to use the restroom or whatever, and I was going to get ready to shower. And like my body was felt like I was in a lag. Like, yeah. and right. I've, I don't drink. So yeah. it kind of, the only thing that I could think of is it felt like a hangover yeah. or my brain was trying to tell my body to do certain things, but everything was like super slow. And I was trying to like, you know, what's going on. And it just, it was infuriating. And I, and I just kept thinking, what is something wrong? Of course I've experienced this before. I think it's just, you're getting groggy and whatever. And of course, you know, after 30 minutes or whatever, I, I get moving and get going. But I mean, well, I don't understand. Things happen. <laughs> our, our brain does things that our body doesn't. And it, it, I don't know. Am I making any sense? Like the, the brain is so crazy yeah. um, in manufacturing things. Like, I've and, heard, and, and this guy's a neuroscientist, so he understands the brain better to, than to, either of us. Yes, I I suppose. Suppose? Well, okay. yeah, I, I'll, I'll give him I'll give him that. But the thing is, is what? His, okay, so <laughs> when I'm listening to him, like I instantaneously give him a lot of credibility and respect right off the bat because he's this neurosurgeon, right? And he's experienced yeah. this. Uh, NDE, this phase of death or whatever. But when he goes into recalling what had happened, when he's reliving these events, as soon as he quote goes under, right? Where he, he, he supposedly dies or his brain is under this trauma or whatever. He's in the coma. Yeah. yeah he's in the coma and he has no memory at that point. And, but then he goes into reliving these secondhand stories that i guess he was told i'm guessing now i'm i'm not saying that it's none of it's real but what do you mean he was told which stories he was told from the from the doctors that worked on him the nurses the family members no 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 not not who would told him but what were the stories that he was told what happened to him happened to his body like like one of the times he said that one of my doctors with his 10 year old son coming in and finding him and things like that right okay and so he's reliving that experience through po- proxy of his son. But then his doctors are saying with that level of uh, bacterial infection, you should have mm-hmm. never blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like he's reliving these secondhand stories, but he's portraying it in a way that he's giving it credibility because it's coming from him. But, he, but he's not saying you can't, what I'm saying here, I this isn't firsthand information. I'm I'm going so his credibility in reliving those experiences or at least explaining it to us is already dropped. I'm not wait, saying wait. But but here's where you're losing me Tom because you're talking about reliving these experiences and mm-hmm. and these experiences is very vague. Mm-hmm. Like what experiences are you talking about because when he's like his his first experience um uh, was I forget what he called it but but it was like this earthworm <laughs> hole kind of thing that mm-hmm. it was all dark and he just had like a, an awareness and a perception and, and, a, and like he would wonder, but there wouldn't be anything that would respond to that. Mm-hmm. That's not something that anybody told him um, or, or when he sees this light and yeah, but I'm not talking about, those, it, right. I'm you're not, not talking, talking about, about those experiences. You're talking, talking about just like 
he's when his going into was, shock and he's yeah, doing when this he was stuff. in the hospital but but so like if if your dad in during his coma there were things that he didn't remember during that time and they said oh yeah we we put 100 milligrams of this into your arm and then he went and he goes yeah tom they put 100 milligrams of this into my arm you'd be like eh, you don't have much credibility dad because you weren't awake for that you're just going by what somebody else told you is that what you're saying kind of yeah okay but what does that even matter it, well, it matters. Okay, it matters. Because so, so, so you you wanted to hear him say, "Now this could be wrong because my doctors told me this, but I didn't experience it uh, myself. I did go back and look through all of the medical documentation that they did during that time, but like I, I don't understand like what the what the credibility issues are here." <laughs> well, okay, the, the credibility issues are that he's presenting everything equally. So he's like when he was talking about his life prior to the coma, mm. he's presenting it in a way that it's like, this is coming from me. So you know that it's legit, right? This happened to me. These are my memories this is my life, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes in with the same style explaining what happened to him while he was in his coma. And at that point I'm like, dude, now you're reading secondhand stories. You know, you weren't even there. You weren't, I mean, you were there, but not like consciously aware. Like, but I don't, I, I don't, I guess so I don't remember, doing, I don't remember anything significant that he was reporting on that, that there would be credibility issues over. So what I'm trying to drive at here is that what I have a problem with is he's presenting all these things equally. And then he starts to go into these secondhand stories. And yeah, there wasn't too many things that I can recall that I'd be like, uh, I don't know if that really happened. Most of it sounded pretty legitimate, Right. I, I, was, I would just assume that everything that he was saying was completely true. All right, fair enough. But then he goes into... You're, you're talking about like how the doctors gave him like a 10% chance to live because he had right. reached certain conditions. You know, like, so, so you're questioning whether or not he really had a 10% chance to live or if he's just giving that for like dramatic effect? No, well, kind of. I, 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 he wasn't there. <laughs> but he's presenting it as if he that information is coming from him directly and it's not i didn't think that he was presenting it as if it was coming from him directly i thought that the doctors right. told his family that it was this and that's what they told him afterwards i thought he said that uh, maybe he found out about this afterwards and then he he also went and he read through all of the notes that the doctors had had made during that time Right, but if he but he's present, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm missing the boat here. Because the way I think I, your confirmation bias is like filtering all of this through so much skepticism that you just like, are like maybe eh, there's got to be something here that very, I, very I just much. can't grab hold of. But but you know, I I, I want to hit on confirmation bias here in a little bit too. Okay, all right. But I, I totally acknowledge that. But so then when he goes into the into what I believe is kind of the meat of. Yeah. All of this, yeah. this, this quote memory or, and, and then he said that he remembers what, what happened during that gap. Like certain no, faces that he saw and he right. talks about like the faces and who they were and stuff. And there was yeah. no time. Right. Yeah. Love was abound. It was, yeah. it was all of us. There was vibrations. There was music. Yeah. And yet, then he went into this woman that he met or whatever, all that stuff, like, and yeah, I probably should have went farther into the lecture, but I feel like he knows that that could very easily be manufactured. 
by his brain. So, so there's, there's two really crucial parts that I don't think you've gotten to um, in, in listening to it. And one is that when, when he came out of this coma and he had been going through his, the doctor's notes and trying to figure out what was going on with him, he really wanted to, like his first urge, because he had never looked at NDE literature, he wanted to like dive into NDE, NDE literature to see what he remembered was consistent with what other people had reported. And his son, who's also studying to be a neuroscientist at this time, his son said, dad, if you're gonna do this and you want any credibility, you need to write down what happened to you before you go into any of that stuff. And so he said that. Now, is he lying? No. You'd, you'd, have, you'd have to accuse him of lying if, it, you know, and maybe he is. That's a possibility. I don't I, know why I, he would. If he, if he was lying, I would only put it in that he might have made unintentional errors. So he, here's, so, so here's, here's, so he, he wrote down his memory of that experience before he like conditioned his mind to go, oh, bright light. Oh, girl with a beautiful face sitting on a butterfly or whatever, you know, right. his thing was. But the, the real kicker, and he saves this till the very last part, is that um, he, after his coma and after he wrote it down, he realized that that woman that he saw, he'd never seen her before. Like he didn't know who this person was until maybe like six months after this happened, and he recounts this story that had been going on for about eight years before this. So he's adopted. And he, he, he was, his parents were high school sweethearts, 1954. They get pregnant. They realize they can't raise a baby, so they put him up for adoption. And this is in North Carolina. And he'd been trying for a long time to find out his birth parents. And just with no luck. Um, finally, he was able to, to find out that his birth parents actually did get married. And they had three other children. So he had three full brothers and sisters and parents that he'd never met before. But the youngest uh, daughter died when she was 36 years old, like a couple years before his experience here. And eventually, he was able to reconnect with these people. And he saw a picture. And that that his his daughter was the one that he saw on the butterfly, the, the, the pretty face, the pretty girl face. And that when he saw that, he just had chills all over. And like that was the biggest nail in the coffin kind of confirmation for him that like, how in the world would I know what she looks like? There's no possible way. Now, is he is, is it like a faulty memory? And he's not really. He's just kind of fabricating it. That's a possibility. That's a possibility, but he's convinced. He's absolutely convinced, and he's a. I I didn't know who this guy was. Like I remember Cammy telling the story about him one of the times we talked before, but uh, like I showed her that John Cleese video. I don't know if you looked at that one or not, um, but that one's pretty interesting too. Um, and she goes, oh, yeah, that reminds me. And so she looked up that guy and we found this lecture and she had never heard it before either. I think she had read his book, uh, which is called Proof of Heaven, which I don't like that title. <laughs> but okay. but uh, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah. So, so that's, that's the story, but, but the things that he talked about, you know, the reason that I was interested in both of those videos that I sent you today was because when, when we talked last week about karma, you made some comment about, um, the way that I described it to you, there's like 14 steps that you'd have to get from here to there and to like try and unpack them. And we never got into like what those might be, but right. I, but, but one of them definitely is this idea of reincarnation, like, or, or even life after death or consciousness right. surviving after death. Sure. And, and his main point was that because his brain was just destroyed by this bacterial meningitis that he had, the memories that he had, the, the imagination that, that, he came out with wasn't coming from his physical brain. It was coming from somewhere else. And so it, it convinced him that consciousness exists outside of the physical brain. It's that mind body problem that, yeah. that, you know, like he, he spends a lot of time and this is part of his preachiness and it might do him a little bit of a disservice, but he, he's pretty preachy about the scientific worldview. It's very like Rupert Sheldrake's band Ted talk, you know, that there's, this dogmatic rigidity where if you even mention God or consciousness being outside of the body, you're, you're dismissed right away. And he's like, and I was right there. That's where I lived. That was my entire life until I had this experience. And, and I couldn't explain how I had these memories when my brain was not creating them. Like, where did this experience come from? What is it? So I think what I hear you saying is that maybe that experience was created after his brain healed and he was able to do or in it. the pro or in the process of healing or in the process of healing or something or like rebooting that. or whatever or yeah. or even if even if it was the brain trying to make sense of the trauma that it yeah if if he was predisposed to take that interpretation and that would be his confirmation bias why didn't he interpret what happened to him through that lens because he's part of the human race right we're all pattern seeking creatures and what he experienced didn't jive with normal life and no, so but what, I, but what i'm saying is if if he was already convinced because he was agnostic for eight years he didn't believe in any god he didn't believe in any of this kind of stuff mm -hmm. so he already had the con confirmation bias would tell you then that he would seek to interpret the experience that happened to him through what he already believed yeah, but he didn't. So, Maybe. so, so there was something that happened that changed was big enough that it, it made him change his mind. Very possible. Very, very, that's probably most likely, but um, if he's agnostic, he might have a sort of a spiritual leaning prior to. I, well, it sounded like he, he definitely had because um, he was And I'm raised, not saying there's any, yeah, I'm not saying there's anything wrong. No, but that, that but that's yeah. part of the confirmation bias. So to establish sure. where, you know, like where his loyalties are, you know, like right. what he, what he believes, you know, like his dad was also a neuroscientist, but also very religious and, and able to um, compartmentalize science as being something that's very very narrow and very small and god as being something that's very very big and impossible to uh understand so that was part of his confirmation bias going into this experience even if he had been agnostic the, the reason that he went agnostic he explains at the end of, of his lecture was when he found out about what happened to his um biological sister the, the accident that took her life and how how that impacted his relationship with 
what could have been his family. You know, like it was just kind of like, this is too harsh. This is too cruel. I can't believe in a God or a universe that would do something like this to me. I just can't believe in it. Um, and that's, that's what caused him to go agnostic for eight years before this experience happened. Sure. But, well, yeah. All right. So here's my confirmation bias again. Yeah. So his experience is extremely unique, right? Like any, anybody that I don't has, know well, how unique it is. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Because what, one of the things he says is that when, when he did go into the NDE literature and he compared like his experience with others, there are more points of agreement. And he talked about like hundreds of thousands of mm-hmm. experiences that people have had, you know, like I, I would look at that from the point of view of folklore and say, okay, well, we're looking at motifs and we're looking at a traditional narrative structure. And it's the same thing as, you know, how are you able to distinguish the difference between a drama or a comedy or right. a horror film or, you know, like we've got these uh, conventions that create genres and this one is near death experience. And so people who are familiar with that will then recreate it. Well, he doesn't really fit that mold because he wasn't familiar with it, or at least he's claiming that he wasn't familiar with it. Maybe he was exposed to it and it was subconscious and he just didn't have a conscious awareness of it. Yeah. But, but, but there are scientific explanations to certain, I don't know, cliches or elements of the NDE, very common NDE experiences like the, the light and certain things like that. There are very good explanations neurologically to what happens to the brain when it suffers, whether it's trauma or shutdown. Okay, so, so in, in this case, you're right, because he is a unique situation because his brain was right. damaged to the point where it couldn't yeah. do those things. So those, those scientific explanations didn't work in his case. Right, so I, well, I would say, I guess my response to this would be, well, his and pretty much any any other person that has an NDE experience, similar to like my dad. My dad had an NDE. He just has no memory or recollection of it. Mm. So... Well, they wouldn't be an NDE then, would it? Unless he like... Yeah, he had a near-death experience, but it, there's just a gap. There's no memory there. So so when you say near-death experience, you mean like he he... I mean, because Jake's like this, right? Like, oh yeah, Jake, but but Jake doesn't have any memory that anything happened afterwards or anything. He ha- yeah, he, just, he has like little fuzzy, you know, puzzle pieces. Yeah, that's but, it. but those are things that were like going on in the physical world. Not most, like mo- what's weird is most of his memories. Um, <laughs> he has a retelling of other people's what other people mm-hmm. told him that he went through. Interesting. Yeah, mostly yeah, Erica's stuff, but. Yeah. All, all I would say is like, okay, we take his anecdotal experience, his subjective experience, because that's, that's the biggest thing. We shouldn't lend a crazy amount of credibility to this one guy's experience, even if he was a neurosurgeon or whatever. Um, because like you said, there's biases and all kinds of problems that get placed into just if you're going to put too much. You're going to put all your chips on one person's subjective experience. Just like I'm not going to put all of my chips on my dad's experience. Even though in my mind, my dad's experience tends to weigh a little bit more. Like mm. I, he has a little more credibility to me because mm. of our relationship and our bond and our experiences together. Yeah. So what he says to me lands a little stronger. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, okay, if there were I don't know how, like if we were to just take all of the people that had some sort of NDE experience and if there was an overwhelming amount of people that had similar situations over and over and over again and could recount 
like boom, 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 point by point by point by point. So many similarities. Now there are some, but there's so many that aren't. There's so many, I would, I would counter that a lot more percentage wise, NDEs end up like my dad's and like Jake's where there's just, there's a gap. Sure. There's no yeah. memory. Yeah. I mean, so, so what I, what I would say to that is that there's a spectrum of possibilities that could happen in, in like, if I, I don't even know how you would put into words or, or, or put into any kind of symbolism that we would recognize or understand what a disembodied consciousness would experience. You know, like we have no idea what that even is, yeah. if it is even anything. And so yeah. if you did have an experience like that and you're coming back and you're trying, you're like, I saw a butterfly. Like, yeah. okay, it's not a butterfly. You know, there's not like butterflies. Right. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, mm-hmm. what, what is this? Stuff? So it's like, I saw something and I'm, the way that my imagination is creating symbols to try to communicate what I'm expressing to you, it's coming out this way. And I, and I would expect that that's where people's subjective, um, experiences and bias and culture and things like that come into play in the way that it's reported or not reported if there's no memory of it at all. But I, I would expect to see kind of a spectrum of, uh, of, you know, like a range. And if it was an actual thing, there would be certain points of similarity that were cross-cultural. Um, and, and he doesn't go into it, but he does say, he does talk about, um, those cases being compared and the, the cultural explanation being dismissed a long time ago. So he's, he's making reference to studies on NDEs that I'm not aware of. I'm not familiar with This isn't, this hasn't been like a pet interest of mine um, where I've, I've, I've studied a lot. I just don't know. Um, but, but I, I, I was interested in it because of what you said about your interest in karma as a way to help satiate your uh, insatiable need for justice <laughs> after after this life. And I thought that what he offered in there was kind of an interesting uh, scenario. And, and I, I was wondering what you thought about that, if if that was helpful to you or interesting to you at all. Well, what I would say, the certain aspects of at least his story you know, if I, cause I, I do want to lend, lend him the benefit of the doubt. He experiences, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to discredit him by any means. I mean, it's his life. It's his experience. Uh, but when he started to talk about in particular vibration, and then he started to bring in music. Mm, yeah. That's, that's when I kind of perked up a little bit and you and I have talked about, you know, vibration. And I know this gets kind of into Esther Hicks and all that stuff, but that, actually has my attention for yeah. some reason like vibrationally if we if because that word i don't know it just it's, it a, seems, it's a weird word yeah but it, but it seems to make sense to me okay for some reason um i'm a big time as you know i'm a big time music connoisseur but there there's something weird that happens when you listen to music when you listen to certain types of music mm-hmm. uh it's it's almost unexplainable to me mm-hmm. and he was talking about it a little bit for him that when he was listening to music like it you know it 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 conjures up emotions and different feelings and memories and yeah. th- there's something 
almost magical or mystical about music yeah. in, in, in my own personal feeling. Like there's like in a lot of ways I hold music in this very sacred category for myself. I'm, o- I'm always proselyting music to people. Like yeah. if you don't like music, you should try it. You should try different kinds. Um, that's where I'm like, you know, there's, there's something going on that's tapping into but something within all of us vibrationally, like at a concert, I don't know if you've ever been to like a concert, or even seen it where if they're playing it and like everybody is sort of just kind of swaying or bouncing at the same yeah. time. Cause they're going with the rhythm and right. it's, it's the closest thing to where you watch like birds all kind of go in the same. Exactly. Rhythm. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's, and I don't know if it's, if that's even in the same sort of area, but it's, it's almost magical when you see because it syncs like people that. up. It's it's like totally it's like ev- everybody's like bouncing like <laughs> to the beat of their own drummer or whatever yeah. that phrase is, and uh, but but then if you get like a certain rhythm that everybody starts going with, like people can get hypnotized that way. People can get into a trance that you know that that's something that brings everyone together. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely definitely power in that. And but it's it's so interesting to me what even sound is. Like so when you're talking about vibration, you're talking about sound, you're talking about music. Yeah. That's that's one way that we experience vibration is and and what is that? That's an impact on our eardrums. You know, yeah, so. it's sound it's sound waves that go into these little hairs in our ears. It's disrupted sense. air molecules. Right. And, it, and then it sends signals to our brains. And then that signal in particular can change our emotions and our mood and it'll yeah. make us move to the music. It's, yeah. it's, it's got a very distinct reaction. Yeah. So, so, so it's easy for you then to think about vibrations as being, well, there might be something to this vibration because yeah. of what you've experienced through music. For sure. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I subscribe to that. There is something behind the scenes to everything. Mm-hmm. this is where I kind of get into my agnosticism where I, I, I you mean, you like, mean as opposed to being an atheist, I guess Yeah, <laughs> the, the agnosticism leaves a little room for maybe, but most atheists would say it's the same thing. So, you know, I think we're just splitting hairs, yeah. but I, I, you know, and, and it's kind of like the idea of, are we living in a simulation? Yeah. Uh, which, that's that definitely falls in into this realm of speculation that I'm kind of I, that I enjoy from time to time where I think something's behind the scenes, something's going on because mm-hmm. it's just, well, we, just, we do live in a three dimensionally pixelated world. Yeah, I guess we do. We, we are, we are pixeled. Okay. Right. All right. The smallest, the smallest unit of reality is called a plank, a plank length. Plank length. Mm-hmm. That's a scientific term. I just dropped science on you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that yeah. is that like two atoms make another atom? Uh, no, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I would uh, I would assume that the plank is smaller than an atom. Hmm. I thought because because there are things that make atoms. You know, like yeah. there's the the. Uh, like electrons and uh, quarks and protons, neutrons. Yeah, but, yeah, but that whole that whole world is a lot of unknown. Yeah, but it's Pretty like these little teeny tiny pixels 
that we're made out of, that everything's made out of. So I just like when people start talking about a simulation that we're in, I'm like, well, what would, what would that look like? And how would that be different from what we actually are? And now you can hear Aaron playing the piano in the background. Aaron, is that? Is that That's Cammy's son. Yeah, he's 15. Oh, his son? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I don't know. That's, that's about as mystical as I think you can get out of me is the vibration stuff. Yeah, okay. Does that frustrate you or something? What no. do you mean? What's, what's your reaction? By going okay? Yeah, or what's, what's in your head about it all? Um, I, I guess the, those, those 14 steps that you alluded to last time we talked in order to get to the, the idea that karma might be a thing, um, what, those, like what, what would that be for you and, and how would that change anything? Is, it's an interesting question to me. So I don't, and I, and I, like, I'm not trying to get you to go woo or anything like that. That's funny. That's as, that's as mystical as you're going to get me to go. Ah, <laughs> drats foiled again. <laughs> Curses you boys. Curses. Um, so in order to believe that there's like some sort of karma where if someone if someone does something terrible like commits murder and then they're going to you know in order for some sort of uh unseen force that's going to repay that debt somehow some way or at least sort of balance the scales out again there would have to be several things in order to, for that to be realistic or to be a thing yeah like there'd have to be scales <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but like what i don't know i i'm trying to even imagine again this goes to there's got to be something beyond this life then and what what is that force or what is that thing that would do such a thing like if if that were real if someone offends you or kills a member of your family or something like that in order for them to get some form of justice and for you to believe in like oh they're gonna get theirs down the road what is what does that even mean what, what do you mean they're gonna get theirs like so there's some sort of force or is it like because we're all on the same sort of wavelength or is there like a vibrational thing that happens so like there was now a rock that was dropped in the pond and those waves are going out because there was a a very negative impact like a murder that goes out and then those waves eventually come back and then focus in on that individual who committed said uh crime and then somehow something happens again yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting image that you bring up like waves. Um, like if, if you think about like one wave crashing into another wave, like, the, like they're both going opposite directions and, may, and maybe you've got like multiple waves and they're all like hitting each other and where you've got that area of contact or conflict, that's right. a, a murder or, you know, like some kind of uh, wrong that needs to be righted. Um, the, the, the one wave that's doing it to the other, they're, they're both the same ocean. It's both the water, you know, like the same water. So, so like how, what would, what, what would restitution or look like? Would it just be that all waves are going in the same direction and then there isn't any conflict anymore? Yeah, that's a good question. I, well, there would need, yeah, there'd need to be a form of restitution on the individual who committed 
the wrong, right? Yeah, but if it, if it's if like the image that you're using of like a wave, which one of the reasons I like it is because of the quantum field theory that says that the like electron energy is just a field that fills the entire space and each electron is just a little bundle of that. But so it is kind of like an ocean that we're all swimming in, we're all made out of. And it in, in that ocean of energy um, expresses itself in all of the variety of ways that we see around us. But that's just like, they're all different waves on the same sea. Um, Except it's weird when you think about it because you think about waves on a sea and you've got like the air up above and then like the sea down below, but you wouldn't have the air. It would all just be water. <laughs> you can't really have waves underneath the water. But anyway, it, it would just be like these different currents or waves. It's all the same thing. We're all, we're all the same thing. We're all the same person, big person, not like individuals that we're feeling like we are right now. So where would that, where would that restitution be? in like what would that look like to 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 have justice well i would assume that there would well i guess in in my way of thinking it would be whether societally we all collectively place immediate uh, judgment on Mm -hmm. said person like if we're taking a murder for example but if but if you take that out of it to where it's like something that you know we can't necessarily but so you're not talking about eternal justice you're talking about like society and like the here well, and now yeah, yeah but I, w- I was just gonna say if if there was a there's a wrong that's committed that doesn't get in whether it's the legal or criminal right system. people and, people who get away with doing really shitty things you, right. you want them to you want them to be punished in an afterlife if there's an afterlife and so i'm asking you what is that well, what, what does that even look like well, what, what even, is making it right I'm not even sure punish, maybe punish is the right word, but my immediate reaction was that's not the right word. It would, it would be to correct the wrong. That's what's coming. That's what's, that's where my head is at, where it's like the person who was wronged needs that gap filled. And then the person who committed the wrong needs that taken away or needs to. Yeah. So how, how do you provide restitution to someone who was murdered? Do you let them come back and live another life? <laughs> I, I suppose. But then you'd have to take the life away from the murderer. And they never come back and live another life? Or maybe they come back and they live a life this time. They're the one that gets murdered? No. if No. A life for a life, right? I mean, we're kind of getting into the whole eye for an eye thing. where it's Because if we're going to play on simplistic terms to really balance things out properly that way you have to take what was lost and then what is the person what form of restitution does the person who committed said crime or took whatever was from that individual how how do they restore it properly i'm not even sure like if you want to talk about like sexual abuse like christy johnson like how 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 would that even happen yeah we can ask her tomorrow night when we talk with her (laughs) i sent her the link to this thing or, or uh, Tuesday night, we're going to talk with her. To this neurosurgeon one? Yeah, yeah. To both, both, of, both of the links that I sent you okay. um, today, she, she watched. So, and, and I know Cammy will want to talk about it when she jumps on with us at some point, but probably not today. Um, I mean, but you, for you, example, I mean, yeah. you've had some wrongs done to you in your life, and I'm not asking you to point out anyone in particular, but mm-hmm. 
how would you see any form of restitution or balancing of the scales and some of the wrongs? Mm, I see, I see those wrongs that were done to me as an opportunity to forgive and love. So you, and that, and that, that's what he talks about. And, and so like that was his big lesson that was learned was that we're, we're all helping each other out. That that something like he talks about soulmates and that like, he doesn't mean soulmate in the sense of like a lover, but even somebody that you would look at as one of your worst enemies, somebody that did kind of the worst things to you ever is actually a really good spiritual friend of yours that's helping you <laughs> learn how to forgive, that's helping you learn how to progress. Um, and it, it is funny because yesterday, Cammy and I watched uh, a 30 for 30 ESPN on the Detroit Pistons bad boys. Yeah, you mentioned that in your Oh, yeah, 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 the message to you. And, you know, like there's no doubt. I, I turned to her and I said – the Chicago Bulls would not have won six champions. Like Michael Jordan was awesome, but he like they made him even more awesome because they they just like beat the shit out of him for two years. And and then a couple minutes later, they mentioned that in the documentary too. So I felt very validated. But, but, it's, <laughs> but so Probably so then so so then were were the Detroit Pistons really the nemesis of the Chicago Bulls, or were they very crucial in making them as you know their, their dynasty what it was? And a, and a really invaluable role that they played in providing that opposition that made them stronger. So why why couldn't that be the same thing if there is an afterlife? If if there are if there is this reincarnation, we keep coming back um, and doing things. Like what would be the point of it? If you know what they say and what this guy said was, it's all about love, getting to that place of pure love, pure forgiveness, pure selflessness, and that, that none of these things that we look at as these horrible, and this is where you're going to get, you're going to get infuriated, but they're not that important. It's not that big of a deal because it is kind of like a simulation in a sense. And we're, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to forgive and, and, and to like dig in deep to yourself to become that person that can forgive and love. And despite wrongs yeah well and the, holding grudges right the only reason why i don't like what you're saying at least initially was you know you should you should look at whether it's advers adversarial or confrontations or people that wrong you um as a gift to forgive and to find you know a way to love them and that there's your yeah. their spiritual partner in this journey or whatever that's such horseshit dude I hate Why? it because because, <laughs> because it in a in a way it's like saying you should look for opportunities to be wronged. If you want to be the best person ever, you should find those spiritual brothers and sisters who are going to offend you and hurt you um and welcome them. Bring them in. Like dude, are, is that a knife in your hand? Bring it closer. Like what are you talking about? That's a no. weird way to that's a weird way to take this. Well, well, even if it's an emotional knife, right? It's like, okay, so Oh yeah, so we've had the conversation before about emotional knives. I remember you saying that before. So like if Christy Johnson's like, Oh yeah, I mean, I think about how good of a person I am for all that, you know, conflict and trauma that I was able to to have to overcome and endure. That's awesome. What about the, all the people that in, that had to endure just you know, similar sorts of things, but right. weren't able to recover and weren't able to get themselves out of the trauma at all. I mean, kudos to the ones that can. But, but, but if, 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 you're, if you're buying into eternity 
and and life after death, then they do get out of it. it it's yeah. a temporary. It's a temporary thing. <laughs> Again, I, I know that's shitty to say. And, and like when, when when we get Christy on here, like it, it will be much better to talk with her sure. about because and and I have talked with her about these kinds of things, and she's she's incredible. Like sure. she she like she acknowledges how. Um, how difficult it is of a message to say, like, I don't think that she would go as far as to say, I'm grateful for what my father did to me. I don't think she would do that at all. Or I'm glad that he did what he did. But she, ha she has a perspective on life now that um, that has shaped and formed that she's really grateful for. Sure. And, and like hearing her talk about that is really, really powerful, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, you know, like for, for you and I to talk about it, who don't have anything close to her kind of experience is, you know, it's tricky. It's yeah, dangerous. It, I, I, well, it absolutely <laughs> is because we have no right to even try to empathize with that kind of pain and trauma. Oh, empathize. We should, of course we should empathize. Or I sympathize or what, try to put ourselves in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's insulting to those people that really endure things that no one else has endured. But. Well, if we're insulting them, then they'll thank us for us but, later. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I just proved your point, didn't I? But, the, but to take the eternal perspective, that's so crappy because then we have to put ourselves in a position of, okay, we have to subscribe to an afterlife. We have to subscribe to the bigger picture of things when it's nearly, I want, I want to say nearly impossible, but it's extremely difficult to think that broad, especially when we're in this life right now, like, oh, okay, if I take the eternal perspective, like we're all sort of, we're, we're in this human life soup together. Oh, okay, then it's not so bad. <laughs> then all the shitty things that are happening to me right here, right now, eh, it's not, it's not even a big deal. It's like, oh, okay, cool, dude. No, that's not cool because yeah, if if you're if you're being like super dismissive that it's not a big deal, then yeah, that I mean, of course that feels bad. <laughs> that doesn't feel great. But I don't think you've got to take it to that. I don't think that's where you have to go with this kind of a message that then you're just permissive and anything goes. I I, I don't I don't feel that way that like anything goes. It, it's it's and and I certainly don't feel like um oh, well since since doing harming somebody else is really doing them a favor in the long run, let's just go harm people. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't. Well, don't and I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying we should go harm people, but the fact that we should be welcoming trauma. But, it, like, but it's not, is you're not welcoming the trauma. You're welcoming the healing. Okay. But why? Healing why from trauma. But why can't we get to a, a really strong place of growth? Why can't we get to that place of, uh, loving or acceptance or healing or forgiveness without going through all the shit to get there. Mm, that, this, this sounds, this sounds like an argument that I heard once upon a time in the preexistence from Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> why does there have to be opposition in all things? What, why, why can't uh, we just tell people all the good things to do and make them be good and, you know, like not give them their agency to, messing around with other people yeah except for that's not what or i'm saying worshiper now what yeah. are you yeah you're saying so you're, you're saying how can like why can't you have healing without something to heal from well yeah i mean okay so if we take trauma whatever degrees or whatever severity of trauma it is i'm i'm so against like 
saying <laughs> people should in- endure certain levels of trauma, whether it's mild or severe, in order to to be that better person, to then be able to find ways of forgiving and healing and loving and blah, blah, blah. Because I really think <laughs> that, that- I love how you blah, 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 healing and loving. <laughs> all that shit. And all that, well, let's just all dismiss that, all that, that out. Shit. <laughs> but what I'm saying is people, I actually think that people can get to that place without having to endure and encounter just severe levels of trauma. Mild, I mean, I guess everybody- encounters different levels of mild trauma to some degree but severe stuff i I feel like no there's ways that we can get to that level of acceptance and love and growth without getting there it's 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 not it's maturity you know in empathizing with people like like, let's let's take a person what are you going to empathize with if they haven't been if there's no trauma easy how about find people that have encountered or enduring certain levels of trauma and then they can help them like that see like i guess i'm I'm not understanding what you're saying i I thought that you were saying why can't we live in a world where there isn't trauma or like why do we have to have trauma as a way to like teach us about love and healing oh yeah if you want to go if you want to go with the unitarian view like yeah i I would like to eliminate trauma altogether sure yeah pie in the sky idea was that the unitarian view unitarian what did i say you what? said Unitarian view. Did I say Unitarian? Yeah. What, what is it? Utilitarian? Is that what it is? Where I don't know. Idealistic, maybe? Okay. Anyway, um, now you lost. <laughs> All right. Sorry. So, so if, if you take the most idealist view of saying, yeah, I don't want any problems. What is it? The fourth Nephi thing where everybody was living in peace and harmony. Mm, yeah. Everybody was. There was living. no manner of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah. It was great. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. In the fiction, that was the first version of the Matrix, and then they just rejected it. <laughs> right, like, too good. Everybody, everybody's getting along too good here. Let's yeah. let's reboot the system. Can't be real. <laughs> it's too so, good to be true. But the thing is, is that's obviously unrealistic. So if you go back into a more realistic, yeah, because there weren't Nephites anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. So if like if you take a person like I don't know, let's take younger Tom before he goes on his mission to say, all right, you can go on your mission and in. And then you can experience all these things of going on a mission is going to be like, okay. Or we can take you, that time and when you were at that age, and then we can put you two years in like Africa or Ethiopia or wherever, and you can do Peace Corps activities for two years. Now, which experience is probably going to, I don't know, promote the most, the most growth or uh, levels of experience and empathy uh, I don't know, understanding what, if, if you were to take both of them all by themselves and say, which, which, uh, experience is going to promote or give a better Tom at the end. Mm-hmm. And without doubt, I would say the Peace Corps one. <laughs> without doubt? Without doubt. And without evidence. Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Without evidence. Either. Without evidence, without doubt. Just, hey, we're, we're, just we're based playing, on... We're, we're playing in imaginary land here. Dude. Okay. This, this All right. Speculation land here. Okay. So, so Tom, Tom goes to the Peace Corps and you don't ever lose your hair. You got a, You've got a full head of hair the rest of your life. Is that? <laughs> oh, and, and you, you make it to the NFL. Oh, there you go. Okay. Get that. Or, or you don't go to the Peace, Peace Corps at all. Uh, you just go to college, you play college football and then you go to the NFL. Like if we're just design, designing whatever. All right. So you're just going to go random. Well, I mean, if we're 
just like making up what we want anyway. Like, how, no. why do you why do you think why do you think that you would be a better version of you if you had gone to the Peace Corps than having gone on a mission? Because I think if if you experience like people in really tragic situations and then you try to support and help them, like for example, like. I feel like I learned a lot by getting in, inside the suicide support communities mm. by, by talking and uh, dealing with people who are experiencing very tragic levels of depression that I am not used to encountering at all, especially in my own life. But, mm -hmm. but that heightens levels of empathy and sympathy within me that I didn't think that I would ever be able to start to realize mm -hmm. so that's why i'm like if you go to a different area of the world where you're like holy crap people live like this yeah this isn't anything like america then yeah. it then it jars your whole way of thinking about humanity what if what if you would have you would not have gone on your mission which i know is really hard for you you you, you struggled a lot on your mission and instead you would have gone to the peace corps which would have been easier in some ways more difficult in others um but you never would have had to struggle with the things that eventually led to you leaving the church. And so you went to the Peace Corps and you stay in the church the whole time. And because of that, you're kind of homophobic. And some of the friends, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you think that's right. You, th you think that, that, you know, like homosexuals, the problems that, that they have, they bring on themselves because they're choosing this, you know, like deviant lifestyle. <laughs> I'm not just homophobic, but I'm a proselyting homophobic. <laughs> right, right, right. Or, or you know, like, like, you know, you've got really good friends now. You performed a, a wedding for... Uh, oh, yeah, that wasn't... You know, that wasn't it was a different guy? Yeah, yeah it was a different guy, Dave. But, um, but, you know, so like you're, you're saying you would have been a better version of Tom had you gone to the Peace Corps, but you don't know. No, you don't I don't. Know that, you don't know that don't. the things that, that made you struggle and go... Wait, Mountain Meadows Massacre, Brigham Young, what? But that's assuming that I'm a better version of myself than I could have been if I went to the Peace Corps, too. What if I was yeah, a better don't version of myself? Yeah, I don't know. You don't know. You don't this know. Is, yeah, we're playing in the what-if speculation land. Yeah. yeah, I guess this is a waste of time. <laughs> a waste of time. There's okay. no such thing as a waste of time. <laughs> There's no such thing? No. I how don't do you, know. How man. do you waste time? How do you, sleeping? But there, there is so much productive stuff that's going on when you're sleeping, Tom. Sleep is essential. Oh yeah, there's there's a book that I've been um, listening to about sleep. What's the what's the guy's name? I don't know. It's really 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 good. I'm gonna. Any, anyways, all right. So there's no there's no such thing as wasting time. Matthew Walker, PhD. Why we sleep. Okay. Add that to your Audible list. It'll blow your all right. mind. All right. Sleep sleep is not wasting time. All right. So why are we why are we sitting here talking when we could be sleeping? <laughs> I haven't I have, I've I've had a hard time sleeping the last couple of nights. I don't know it, it, like with the the like weirdness. I mean your 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 day's probably pretty similar to what it's been before because you're still going to work. You still have your same time that you're about, and then you come home. Like we are so off schedule. Like Cammy's kids are they're staying up till like four or five in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's wild you know, just they're having a blast they're having fun i but, guess you know, yeah sleeping until two or three in the afternoon and and uh just like way way off schedule and so cammy and i are kind of off too but um yeah yeah it's it's weird yeah my my kids that this is like an extended summer break except for they're they're doing a lot more you know online work 
<laughs> yeah, online work, but also playing video games online. Oh, that's that's, right. that's where they play. You know, they talk to a lot of their friends and whatever. Right. So, oh I mean, yeah. And by the way, when your son tells you that he's interested in graphic design, that's just his way of saying, "Dad, I want to play video games. Get off my back." Is a future <laughs> that <you know. laughs> I do think there's a shred of truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a graphic design artist, Dad. I need to have this experience with these video games. Okay, fair enough. Just be productive. Just be productive. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just wondering if this is scratching that uh, karma, justice, itch, help, interesting to you at is, all, or is it, it frustrating? Is, it is. It is. I, I, I mean, I wish I, well, and it, I don't it's know. It's like you it. come to me and you go like, I'm leaning towards this karma thing. What do you know about it? I'm like, not, not a lot here. Oh, I found this. And then you're like, wait, pushing back at me. Like that's as, that's as, as uh, mystical as you're going to get me to go, Glenn. You're the one that was leaning into it, Tom. Why, I was. Why are, why are you and so I, like, and I, Well, and I still am. But the thing is, is like, you take it. using me as a contrast. <laughs> but you take like this TED Talk in particular. And, and I, because I have such a, I don't know what it is, a critical mind or whatever, where I start to like try to find uh, different. The problems. The things Problems. To, yeah, or I, I'm already criticizing certain areas yeah. where I'm like, oh, okay, because I want to think it's credit, cred, credibility. Yeah, or yeah. or certain areas where I'm like, dude, why would he be saying that? And yeah, that that actually uh, goes against me to a certain extent because I'm already looking at it with a very critical eye. But what it does to me instead is I don't like swallow things wholesale. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't just like think. Oh, what he's saying? Oh my gosh, because <laughs> that's what I used to do all the time. I would read a book, I would watch a lecture, and I would just swallow it whole. Mm. And I wouldn't think about it critically, and I'd be like, holy crap. And then that would become like this new version of truth mm. that, that I swallowed, and now I'm, now I'm just digesting that, and then it's becoming part of my ether, and then it's becoming part of my dialogue. And, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's never a good thing for me, because... Mm there's so much bullshit out there that you start ingesting that, then you start perpetuating it out. And then you're like, you're part of the problem. And if you're not filtering the stuff that's coming in and the filtering, the stuff that's going out, then you're part of the problem. Then you're not, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not doing part of the problem. You're not fixing, you're not fixing the, the situation of truth. Versus bullshit. <laughs> so are, are, you, are you part of the problem, Tom, or are you part of the solution? No, I'm definitely part of the problem, but I'm trying to be part of the solution. But you're not part of the solution? I'm, I'm trying. There's no such thing as try. Yoda said so. <laughs> That's not bullshit either. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, all right, man. All right. Anything else? No. No, it was it was fun. I, I enjoyed talking about it. I like thinking about this stuff. I'm gonna finish his lecture. Yeah. I do, I do wanna see where it ends up going. And I will say too, like it, it is it is a head scratcher and and I have to give him a lot of I don't know, a room to play in it if if he had this mystical experience where it was someone he he saw someone's face that he never met before or whatever. Yeah, and then recognize him. We saw the picture later. That, that's it's, that. It was, I, I just have to put that up on the who knows what the hell that is shelf. To me, to me, the most compelling part of what he said was just how that um, 
bacterial, I think it was meningitis, whatever it was, yeah. just like yeah. was destroying his brain so that his brain physically wasn't capable of doing these tricks that, you know, it, that, that was compelling to me. And, sure. and just how I, because I've been so interested in um, theoretical physics that, you know, that I don't think you've ever watched the Brian Green Nova things that I've talked about before. Have you? I think I have, but fabric of the cosmos where there's, mm. there's one episode on time, yeah. one episode on space, one episode yeah. on quantum mechanics and one episode on uh, multiverse. It's been a little while, but I got to revisit those. But, but so like Einstein's, what he says about time is basically that all time exists all the time. So the past, present and future, it's already like woven into the fabric of the cosmos. It's already there. Yeah, I've seen, and, inter- I've seen interstellar. Not yeah. only is, is that, but any like possibility of what could happen is that. And, and so like, I get, I, I get blown away by that. And that's not, that's, this is the uh, scientist at Cambridge that's saying this stuff. And it's, it's consistent with what other, uh, other scientists are saying about the nature of reality that we really don't, have a clue of what's mm-hmm. actually going on. And when it comes to things like consciousness and where consciousness comes from, what it is, there's, there's, there's no credible answer. And so to, to well, when, yeah. well, am I wrong? Am I no, missing? Like you're mostly right because consciousness is, is a very, it's very controversial because a lot, really uh, everybody just all the scientists whatever they just assume they just kind of they go from these little areas of speculation like well it could be this so it could be that but yeah it's there's there's so much we can't possibly know every yeah i mean i mean even, and, and it's that mind body problem basic of, of consciousness where it, is consciousness a result of our brain or is is consciousness the creator of our brain or the you know preceding the, the brain and, and preceding physical reality. And I, there's just, there's, I don't know. I, it's wild. I, 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 I find it interesting and compelling. And, you know, like I've told you before, it, it does, it does help me when I'm, when I'm feeling uh, particularly victimized or wronged or, you know, whatever to, to go. I'm actually like in this moment, I'm okay. Because like actually in this you, moment so, right now, I'm all right. I'm okay. So is it, is it because you, in that moment, you kind of take more of a broader view? Like, you know, I've thought about like the life universe and everything and geez, dude, like this pinprick of this existence right now is Neil. Sometimes. I mean, like the, the, the one I've talked to you about a number of times before was when I was, unjustly arrested and spent 24 hours in, right. in jail and i like i vividly remember sitting on i was in that one of those stupid orange jumpsuits bare wow. feet because i couldn't have any socks or whatever the reason for that it was so cold in there and it was like it was like the tile that you would have in a in a, a men's bathroom right. like a high school gym or something and i was sitting there thinking of all of the different ways that i could get revenge and like what could i do to destroy her and the more I thought about that and I felt the feelings that were associated with that vengeance, I hated the way that it felt. Hmm. Like I, I, did, I didn't like it. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that way. Like, okay, so what does this mean? This just means 
I know that my marriage is over. <laughs> like I know that this person does not have my back and I didn't want the divorce. I didn't want, like I want all the things that I got married and had a family in the first place. I want to have that. I want to keep that. That's not going to happen. Let go of that and focus on other things, but not vengeance and, and that, because that's not the, the feeling that I like. That's not the person that I want to become. And so that didn't have anything to do with like eternal perspective or cosmic this or that or anything like that. It was just a recognition in that moment. And, and I had so much peace just come over me when I let that anger go and I let that vengeance go. Um, so that, it, I, I think it's more about that. So maybe I'm, maybe Tom, I've just lived multiple lifetimes and may, maybe, maybe I am a bodhisattva who has escaped the cycle of samsara of life, but I come back uh, anyway, just to bring peace and love to people like you. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's maybe exactly that's what, it what it is. Yeah. I'm glad, and, I'm maybe, glad. and maybe that's what you are too. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it, but all right. <laughs> This is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Did you hear the latest episode of Infants on Thrones? Age 7. Shh. Hit. Oh, yes, and I rather enjoyed it. R2. Miss, if only there was a way to listen to Infants episodes earlier and to gain access to interactive bonus content like video blog posts and other things. H9. Hit. Well... You could always join the infant's Patreon page. A1? You just convinced me to sign up for Patreon. And also... You sang my battleship. A game you can play anywhere. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast and the effort that goes into creating it, please come support us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode capped at any amount of your choosing, you will have access to nearly 100 Patreon-only sharing time episodes that have not been released to the general public, or if you would prefer to express your gratitude with a one-time donation via Venmo or PayPal, check out the donate link on the website infantsonthrones.com. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.